Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. This is Dame with another wonderful episode of Wrestling Geeks Alliance, a show, uh, podcast, if you will, that we do every Wednesday at 7 o'clock until 9 o'clock, two-hour show about wrestling. So if you're new to the program, thanks for listening. We really appreciate it. Um, Definitely want to, of course, introduce my wonderful co-host, Mr. Christopher Brother Ray Patton. How are you doing, Chris? Hey, world. I am uh, doing wonderful, Dane. I'm actually uh, about to go on vacation from work. You're seeing music at the Shaking East Festival this weekend. So I am uh, in the best of moods and excited to talk about some wrestling. How about you, brother? Oh, yeah! I'm pretty excited myself. <laughs> Try to play that off. Didn't really work out. Um, that's awesome, man. Uh, I could use a vacation as well, but uh, I'm doing pretty damn good, you know, and interesting Georgia weather has been uh, bothering me lately. I would like to know why the hell it has to be uh, 40 degrees when I wake up and then, I don't know, 70-something in the afternoon. That's ridiculous. Uh, but either way, we got a show about wrestling for you guys. So uh, wanna first, actually, before I get into any of the news or information or pay-per-views that we're going to be going over, I want to make an announcement that we are going to be interviewing the world's most dangerous man himself, Ken Shamrock. Uh, we're supposed to be doing it tomorrow night at 9. And if that happens, and that's, that's, that's definitely uh, the time, we will give that information tomorrow on our Facebook page, Geek Vibes Nation. Um, the only reason I say that is because we're basically on their schedule, so if they have to cancel last minute and ask us to do it another time, uh, we're lackeys, me and Chris, so basically we'll find out that information probably last minute and then have to go and do it. But either way, we have an interview with Ken Shamrock coming, so can't wait to display that for you guys in the future. Hey, Chris, are you excited uh, about talking to uh, Mr. Shamrock? I don't have a cool soundboard, but I would play the, the, the Stone Cold, oh, hell yeah, right now if I did. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, I'm super stoked. It's going to be awesome. Um Geek Vibes Nation on Twitter should have that post out too as well, and, and we'll try to get that shared out so that hopefully you guys can tune in live. Uh, but if not yet, yeah, we'll definitely get it up in all the different methods of downloadability. And, uh, just check out you know, Dane and I on Facebook and make sure you get the dope Ken Shamrock interview that we're going to put forth uh, if we lock the thing down. So it'll be awesome. Not down with that! We got two words for you! Yeah, I couldn't find the Stone Cold one. I'm, like, busy as a bee going through the damn soundboard. Apparently, we don't have 
Oh hell yeah! <laughs> I'm gonna, you know, we got we gotta we gotta update this thing a little bit, but uh, we'll, we'll get that. Either way, Ken Shamrock. I'm a huge MMA fan. Um, back when USC was looked at as human cockfighting, I was watching it. Back when it was uh, mainly like Don Fry, Dan Severin, Ken Shamrock himself, Royce Gracie, of course. And then it became this huge phenomenon. Uh, actually, I started watching MMA, Chris, um, mainly when wrestling kind of died out and kind of like lost its flavor about 2005. And that's actually when the rise of UFC happened. So kind of strange how that works out. But uh, he's been great in both. I can't wait to talk to him about certain subjects involving wrestling and MMA, uh, getting to being able to ask someone that has worked in both, that has had a pretty damn a pretty decent career, I would say. You know, I mean, he's the Intercontinental Champion, past WWE Tag Champion, uh, the NWA World Heavyweight Champion, the first TNA Champion. A lot of people don't realize that. As well as winning Pride Grand Prix and and uh, being a UFC Ultra. Uh, I think it was the Ultra Heavyweight title or something, something like that. Uh, I'll, I'll remember all that for tomorrow. Hope you're not listening, Mr. Shamrock. I apologize. Uh, caffeine's wearing down a little bit. But uh, tomorrow... I'll be fresh on my shit. What I'm trying to say is he's a badass and I can ask him questions that, you know, you can ask someone how they feel about the wrestling industry, like a Josh Barnett or like a Chell Sonnen, just to give, uh, you know, a little fuck you to people that are huge MMA fans that say some horrible things about WWE. But, uh, yeah, that's my personal goal. And uh, that's a really good goal. But it's also to find out all more information about Ken, of course, and, uh, you know, how many times he's – wanted to punch Tito Ortiz in the face, like I have. I'm sure more than me, but we'll find out tomorrow, like I said. Um, <laughs> we should probably get into this, this whole news thing, Chris, huh? We, we should, but before we do that, I just want to say happy birthday to The Rock, Dwayne Johnson. Because I feel like that's important to put out there on Front Street. Well, if you smell what The Rock's cooking, I appreciate that, Chris. <laughs> Have you smelled what the rock is cooking? He does it actually better than I do it. So, but yeah, definitely Dwayne, the rock Johnson, who not only was one of my favorite professional wrestlers, one of the biggest names ever in wrestling, but actually has become a pretty goddamn big actor now. I mean, he's doing like three movies a year. He's like, he's like Marvel Disney, you know, like he's doing as many movies as them a year. It's crazy. Um, that was a horrible, horrible joke. Either way, uh, why, don't we, why don't we talk about some uh, some New Japan? I, I, I had some um, questions to you, Chris. Um, I was able to catch the uh, NATO, uh, which we call it, uh, Suzuki fight, um, and a change in in, in title uh, for NATO is now the Intercontinental Champion once again. New Japan's IWGP Intercontinental Title Champion. And um, I don't know if he's going to throw around the belt like he did beforehand. I have a feeling that they're not going to let him do that this time. Kato's going to be like, no, 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 don't do that, please. That costs money. Um, So now uh, the question I I throw to you is is based on this, I would assume that Naito might be out of the heavyweight title picture against Okada. If that's the case, along with how how did you like the match, if you got a chance to watch it, of course, but with the information, do you think that means that we're going to have someone else now come up to be the next person to go against Okada, potentially to win the IWGP World Heavyweight title? 
And do you think since there's no title on him and after he's done with Cody, he's not going to have a hell of a lot to do, that that person finally might be Kenny Omega? Or will Okada keep this title forever? It's very possible at this point that Okada might keep (laughs) – it's very possible at this point that Okada keeps this title forever. Uh, (laughs) All all jokes aside, um, I did see the match. I enjoyed it. Uh, wasn't NATO the best match, but it, it was a fun watch, and, and I recommend checking it out if, if any if you guys get a chance to do that. Listening out there, um, I think it's cool he got the the IC title. I think he had a really good run with it last year. It'd be interesting if he picks back up on some of the comedic, not necessarily comedic, but some of the more heelish stuff he was doing with the belt, like trying to buy uh, chips and soda at a gas station with it, like stuff like that. Kind of, I think, has gotten. NATO over in a way that he wasn't before that, that run specifically seemed like he gained a lot of traction. And then, you know, shortly thereafter, after he lost the title to, I believe he lost to Tanahashi, um, you know, he won G1. So uh, if he can build another run like that, it'll be interesting to see what happens going into G1. Um, my guess is, and, and what I would do with this, as we've talked about in the past is to get back to Omega versus Okada. I think you need, a transition and a transitional champion, at least to get the belt on Omega. And I think the way you could do that, you set up some kind of number one contenders match with, you know, Omega versus Cody Rhodes, Cody Rhodes finds a way to win. And then you get Cody Rhodes versus um, Okada. And then maybe Cody Rhodes ends up screwing Okada somehow to get the title, uh, which they don't do a lot of screwy finishes in New Japan. So if it was a one-off, I'd be okay with it. Um, to beat Okada and then have the title and then set up, you know, Rhodes versus Omega where Omega gets the title, eventually building back up to Okada versus Omega later down the road. It, it could be because Okada wins G1. Um, or you could go the route of Cody wins G1, and that's how he gets the title shot. It just depends on how long they want to keep the title on Okada. And the thing I would say about that, it's not like Okada is hurting the title at all by having it. It's not a Brock Lesnar situation. Like, the guy's there wrestling his ass off, putting on damn good matches no matter who he faces, and he is over. I don't think he's as over as, like, Kenny Omega or, or NATO, but he's definitely, you know, in the top five there, and he's been a solid champion and currently the longest-reigning champion, as far as I know, in New Japan history at this point. So right now he's just padding his days out. Um, they're going to – I mean, I think the title goes off of him. I don't know if it happens before Wrestle Kingdom. I think it might revolve around the G1. Um, and there's a lot of ways they could get the IC title off NATO if they want him to be a transitional guy. I do think Omega gets this title at or before Wrestle Kingdom because I do think there is a fear, a little bit of a fear, that he might pack up shop and go um, to WWE. So there's, you know, there's always that that should be lingering in the back of our heads. I don't know if that's 100%. You know, that's just my thoughts on it from what I've heard that, you know, he wanted the title. That's why he came back to New Japan. Um, he had some great matches. I think he's done really good work with the Golden Lovers. His feud with Cody's been very entertaining. This weird breakup of the Bullet Club's been very entertaining. And at this point, it's kind of like shit or get off the pot. If you want to keep the Okada thing going, I wouldn't have Omega beat Okada for the title. I would transition it to someone else and then transition it back um, to Kenny Omega because it's not going to hurt the status of that title in the way it would the WWE title um, with how many times it gets switched or some of the titles in WWE, because at this point, Okada has held it longer than anyone else. If you drop it to someone 
and they lose it three months later, it doesn't look as big of a deal as long as, you know, it's a convincing match. Um, so that's my thoughts on it. But uh, I, I think Cody Rhodes is, is a sleeper pick, him or NATO for a transitional champion. And then Omega wins the belt off them, and that leads back to Okada versus Omega. And it also gives Okada a little bit of a break, um, which I think he well deserves at this point. I like that idea. I like that idea a lot. I just, the only thing that I can think of, and I mean, they could do it, and I do love this feud between Cody and Kenny. It's just if, if our if our end game is having a transitional champion to get the belt to Kenny, I don't know if they'd go Gaijin Gaijin. I know it's kind of important over there, and I know that they're kind of weird with the booking, and even having a Gaijin champion is something that's kind of rare uh, over in Japan. I was actually wondering um, how you like the scenario of possibly someone that's over his shit over in Japan and America, uh, the other golden lover, Kota Ibushi, possibly beating Okada for it, um, you know, while Omega and Cody have their whole thing. That finishes. Now, uh, Kota Ibushi has a title, maybe beats Okada again due to something or whatever. Maybe there can be some type of reason why Okada loses twice in a row. Or maybe this is a little bit of a downfall for Okada after such a strong championship run. And then you have the Golden Lovers next fighting for the championship belt. Whether you want to give it to Kenny that first time or have a series of matches or whatnot, end game is that after Omega gets the belt from Kota Ibushi, it goes back to him and Okada for the belt, maybe at Wrestle Kingdom next year. Yeah, I mean, that would be an awesome scenario. And the easy way to do that is you keep the belt on Okada until G1. And then whoever wins G1 will be the guy that faces Okada uh, in theory at Wrestle Kingdom. Because that's the general way that they put that title out. Um, and if you go that route, you could, I mean, there's tons of ways you could set up, you know, the, the, the Golden Lovers breakup with their feud. Um, you could even build that into G1, depending on how you book the tournament card. Uh, which, man, that's not even that far away, and it seems crazy to say at this point. <laughs> like, we're already wrapping back up to, to like, t- July, August. Um, so I think that would be an awesome idea. It'd be really cool. I, I like Koto Ibushi a lot. I, he is over with the crowd, and there's definitely something there. It's just who plays the heel in that scenario with uh, the way they built the Golden Lumpers back up as friends? Do you turn Kenny heel again? Does that revolve around the elite somehow? It's just how you get there. And I mean, the thing is, is like you could def- you could easily just have, you know, Tanahashi or someone. Like there's always an yeah. outside chance that they just put the belt back on Tanahashi and then have him lose. Uh, or Suzuki or someone that's already had it. That's older. Yeah, it's not. It, it, it's more just you could go the route of just having Omega beat Okada and then you're going to get a rebound match off of that. It's just New Japan generally doesn't look like that. So it's, it's almost like there's generally yeah. a trend. Um, in the same way that there used to be in, uh, you know, WWF, um, when you think about some of the transitional champions they had uh, with, you know, when Bruno left and, and kind of building into WWF until Hogan kind of took the thing and ran with it for so long. Um, even, even after Hogan, you know, dropped the title and they had the, the, the title tournament at WrestleMania Four, you know, Macho Man was more of a transitional champ to build up something else they wanted to do. Um, so they, they, New Japan just kind of sticks with the more traditional, hey, 
we'll make someone a transitional champion that's over, and then we'll get it back to whoever our guy is, whoever the top guy is. Um, but, yeah, I mean, a Golden Lover's feud would be awesome. It's just how you get there. And uh, it's, like I said, you could you could go the Tanahashi route, and then you could also, you could go the route of, I don't know if they've done this before in New Japan. I think they have, where the IC champion wins the G1 and then forfeits the title for the heavyweight title match. And then you could set up a match or, or a tournament or something for that title. Because New Japan is big on tournaments, so there's ways that they can get around this no matter what they do. And that's the great thing when you look at New Japan and how they book stuff and, and how well it's done is there's so many possibilities they could go with to get the title off of Okada where it wouldn't hurt Okada and you can still build to giving the title to Kenny or whoever the hell you wanted to put the thing on, um, like a NATO. And you're going to get a – like all of the guys will get a rub out of that because then you're going to get a NATO Omega match. You know what I mean? And you're going to get a NATO Okada yep. match again. So that – that's the great thing about New Japan and how they book and how seriously they take their top title um, and how seriously they take their tournaments to set up titles. Uh, it's something that WWE lacks in certain areas. And I think there's something they're trying to do with Brock that just hasn't really panned out in the same way. <laughs> but it's awesome to just think about all the possibilities of what they could do. I mean, could you even see a guy like Evil winning G1 and facing Okada for the title? Like, You could do that. Um, but yeah, I, and, and once again, is Okada going to be in the G1 again this yeah. year? He was in it last year. Do you set up a feud out of that? He doesn't have to, right? Expect? No, I mean, he doesn't have to, but that's part of Okada's, you know, character. He's the, he's the rainmaker. Winning the tournament in Japan, if I remember right, there's a cash prize that comes along with that. You get the trophy, you get your name etched in the G, like the G1 tournament legacy. They play that up a lot more than, you know, doesn't necessarily come over on the Americanized uh, versions of the shows that we have to watch. Um, but yeah, I mean, he doesn't he doesn't have to be, but it, it makes sense for Okada to be there because then you get all these cool matches with Okada that aren't direct title shots and aren't putting him in a three-way. So I, I would expect him to be in the G1 again, and then you can build a feud out of that for him to drop the title. So to me, the entire thing about him dropping the title in general, I don't think it's going to go directly to Omega. I do think he will drop the title soon, and I think it definitely pivots around G1. Yeah, I definitely agree. Uh, I just, I really want to, if I was a wrestler, I'd, I'd want to be a transitional champion like Randy Savage was and have the titles for a year. Because um, that would be cool. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, brother, I don't give a shit. Yeah, I mean, like, I'm not crapping on Randy's run at all, but that's, I mean, no, that's no, I know you're not. Is, is it's, you know, he was kind of considered a transitional champion. It's, it's oh, he is. No, no. But by the majority, but, he is. But he actually held the title for a whole entire fucking year that that time. But he was, he was, he was basically like to make sure Hulk wasn't as stale, and also, you know, give I guess more gravitas to the belt. I have no idea. It's also because he was an extremely great worker and over shit. He just was not as over as Hulk Hogan, unfortunately. Yeah, and, and I mean, in, in, in any title run, I mean, even with a transitional champion, if they get this thing, if they get this thing at G one or right after G one, leading up to Wrestle Kingdom, there's six months of that champion. So there's so much time, like so much you can do in between there. And as long as they have solid title defenses in between there, it's not gonna. I mean, it's not gonna hurt that belt at all. Like the New Japan Heavyweight Title yeah. is 
to me, is the most prestigious title in all of wrestling right now. And it's because of what yeah. people like AJ Styles and what uh, Nakamura and what Tanahashi have been able to do that with these long, suspended rate, like reigns in the matches they've been able to put out with it is what makes the belt as good as it is, you know? It's, it's crazy to even think You, about you forgot it. Bob Sapp. <laughs> yeah, Bob Sapp. And Brock Lesnar, obviously. <laughs> well, didn't Bob? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They both have been champions, both Gaijing winners of the belts in the past. But yeah, uh, I too wonder exactly how they're going to do this. I realized while you were talking that I think that Tanahashi is basically their John Cena, obviously. And if that's the case, I think Suzuki's a Triple H. So just put the thing on Suzuki, man. Make you start fucking wearing a shovel down there, or or bringing a shovel, I should say, down there with Suzuki Goon and uh, just hitting people over the head, and he wins the title. I mean, it's not like they're going to fucking give him a DQ over in Japan for doing that. If he's outside of the ring, he, they can do whatever. You know, they just get kind of like <laughs> finger pointed and told Red Shoes tells, tells him to get in the ring, you jerks. All right. Either way. Uh, but I am excited about all this. I love New Japan and everything they do. Um, really, really interesting. Uh, so uh, apparently Kane, I mean, Glenn Jacobs, I should say, uh, you know, they have to finish up everything. Um, he won the mayoral primary uh, for Tennessee. Uh, I think it was by 17 votes, which is absolutely fucking crazy. And um, I believe he's a libertarian. So, or, well, at least a libertarian that I follow said he was. So I'm going to take that as he's not bullshitting. So either way, great. Good job, Kane. I know that they have to, like, finish up some stuff and – I don't know exactly the procedure, but it's not 100% yet. But uh, I don't think we're going to be seeing the big red machine uh, come back anytime soon, which is great. I'm happy that he's, his political uh, career has flourished. I've heard from several wrestlers uh, you know, on different podcasts and interviews, especially Matt Morgan, saying that Kane is one of the most intelligent people that they know. Um, you know, up there with like JBL, which if, if, if you don't know, JBL is actually uh, extremely intelligent. Um, what the hell does he do? Like real estate or I don't know, stock. He does a bunch of shit, but um, he definitely played more of a, a dumb Texan character. And he kind of is in real life in, in certain issues um, when he's not making fun of Otonga. At, he also, um, he also played know, a bunch of, he, I mean, that was his part of his character was he's a money mogul. Like he's really good at stock investing and kind of built a fortune off that. And they made that part of his character. That's why, like, he used to come out in a limo and all that stuff. That was all real life part of his character. Yeah, yeah it, it's I'm just saying he's kind of hammed up. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, and I believe it was that, more four yeah, horn leghorn. Yeah, for sure. I can fuck horse leghorn. Whatever. Um, no <laughs> Uh, so, so he won the GOP nominee, which I, I would think means that he ran as a Republican. He could be leaning more towards the libertarian side. I have no idea. I, I don't happen to follow his politics because I don't live in Knox County, Tennessee. Um, so it doesn't affect me. It's, it's interesting and it's pretty cool. But uh, he's pretty much it's it's pretty much like stated that he's going to win the mayor election against the Democrat uh, Linda Haney, I believe, is who he's running against because. Knox County generally votes highly Republican. Um, be able to call Kane a mayor along with being a WWE tag team champion, heavyweight champion, intercontinental champion. Like, does that put him above 
certain people, does that like throw him into the Hall of Fame by default? Because I feel like Kane deserves to be in the Hall of Fame as soon as he retires, a hundred percent. So it, it's exciting for him, and it was really cool hearing all the different wrestlers' opinions. Um, and kind of just, like, seeing weird photos of Kane backstage with, like, the Dudley boys and stuff. Like, that was all really fun on Twitter, and um, congratulations to him. I like I don't know anything about his politics. I like Kane. He's always seemed kind of like a, a good person um, from all the interviews I've heard with him outside of wrestling, and uh, hopefully he's a good mayor. So we'll see. Yeah, man. All right. And uh, I definitely also want to say th- uh, congratulations, Kane. Congratulations to Glenn. Um, that's awesome, man. That that's really cool. Uh, you know, it's it, it's weird. It's like after you retire from wrestling, you either try acting or become a politician. Usually, unless you're Brock Lesnar, and then you just go beat the shit out of people in a different format. Um, <laughs> so we got a couple more news items, Chris. I want to throw this one at you. Sabu versus Nick Cage, or Gage, I should say. Not <laughs> that would be a fun match. <laughs> Sabu versus Nicholas Cage. <laughs> oh, <laughs> All right. The night of main events, uh, New York hardcore match. New York City street fight. He is like 904 fucking years old. Why the hell is he getting in the ring with like the modern day equivalent to Sandman, except for Nick seems like he's way more pissed off most of the fucking time? I mean, I, I think Sabu's worked with Nick Gage before. So there's, there may be a level of trust there. Um, Sabu's going to be taking this thing pretty easily. He just had hip replacement surgery, if I'm not mistaken, last year. Um, he's wrestling with Genie, right, as his manager. That's the thing they've been doing recently. Um, I love I love Sabu. Yeah. Uh, I don't know that I would want Sabu to fight Nick Gage in what will definitely be a bloodbath. And, and that's not saying anything bad against Nick Gage. He just... He is a style of wrestler that I'm not necessarily the hugest fan of. Um, I don't know if he, he he's part of the ultra violent wrestling scene, so it's it's full on death. Like he was, I know like the biggest part of his career like career was him being in the finals in the tournament of death with like Necro Butcher um, and and John Zandig and that kind of stuff. Uh, crazy. Guy puts the body on the line. Jesus, was Supreme there too? On fire? It's uh, it's just not my, it's not my thing. Um, it's Me it's neither. taking ECW and going like a level of, even above that in a way that I don't necessarily like FCW. Yeah, so I, I get people like it. I'm not crapping on it. I mean, these guys definitely put their bodies on the line. Um, I think it's scary. Uh, I, I I can't remember if it was Nick Gage or not, but I know one of these guys got helicopter lifted out of one of the tournaments of death and then if I remember right John Moxley ended up fighting in the final match after he'd already wrestled and his if if you've ever seen the great picture of Dean Ambrose aka John Moxley with the uh saw this <laughs> like a skill saw put to his forehead that is what that's from if I recall correctly uh, I mean Nick Gage is trained by John Zandig I'm pretty sure he's wrestled Sabu before. I don't think it'll be like an ultra-violent match. There'll definitely be some hard And he's going to be a little bit more limited in, in what he's able to do in the ring. I love Sabu. It's really cool. Um, I don't think this thing's being televised anywhere, so it's going to be more of like a house show. So I, I would think that, you know, it would be pretty 
it's going to be a pretty laid back thing where both these guys are just getting a nice paycheck from whatever promoter is looking at it. Yeah, just crazy stuff, man. Um, yeah, those guys, and I mean, I've watched some stuff from uh, early CCW. Um, I watched mostly their stuff that they did crossover stuff with Ring of Honor, which was, I'm a, yeah, I'll say more enjoyable than the stuff that I watch outside of that. And then I've also seen that that scene kind of started, Chris, a lot of people that were obsessed with ECW, but a lot of like backyard wrestling style things. It was, I mean, I, it was during a whole entire generation where everyone was doing jackass and it was more, see how much pain that you can do at that type of level. And ECW obviously was the most, well, that and MMW or FMW, Onita's uh, organization, but I don't know, FMW probably was even worse, but that just that level that they'll go to where it's it's more about how how much blood you can cause and just do ridiculous crazy shit. Um, yeah, and I feel like I'm talking about Jim Cornette right now. Like I really don't want to isolate and just completely crap on a style of wrestling. But when you like I said, I was making that joke about Supreme. When you've seen a video of Supreme on fire and no one can fucking put him out, and he still went and, and wrestled hardcore. I think like the fucking two weeks after that, like. That shit's crazy, man. And uh, Sabu is crazy. He was one of the craziest out of the bunch in ECW. And now, like, I think he's in his at least late 40s, early 50s. You know, Chris Jericho's 48. He's got to be around his age, I'm assuming. Maybe a little bit older. So maybe in his early 50s. And, uh, yeah, Nick Gage, who's uh, pretty crazy. But, yeah, and, hey, and I, like, you know, just to not to transition out so, like, right away, but I will say, you know, I'm not, crapping on anyone that has wrestled in TCW. They've had some great wrestlers. Like, I think Necro the Necro Butcher, when he was in doing the Ring of Honor crossover... Even Jim Cornette said that. Of, like, he's one hell of a wrestler. And there and there's been other people, like like John Moxley, who Dean Ambrose passed through there. There's yep. lots of guys that uh, have came through. Sammy Callahan. Great wrestlers. Yeah, and it's it's thing of... I appreciate what they're doing. It's definitely an entertainment prospect. It's just not my favorite style of wrestling. Um, and there's certain aspects about ECW where I think they went too far, and it wasn't my favorite style of wrestling either. And even TNA, to some extent, early TNA, um, yeah. with some of the matches they had. I, I just don't think it's necessary to have a good match. I think it's interesting, and it's worth watching. But to me, there's diminishing returns when you do stuff like this. Like, if you're doing, like, a 200 light tube death match, for instance, which I believe Nick Gage did, then where do you go from there? Like, how do you top it? At, at some point, you're just, you're brutalizing. Do it in a water park. <laughs> like, there's no, there's no topping it. And, and, and like, if you're going to do something like that, it needs to be built to a way where it really, really matters. Um, if you're going to do a crazy match, like an Inferno match or like a barbed wire match or something, I would say a good one would be Sabu and Terry Funk and ECW with that barbed wire match, which is yep. still... Ridiculous. Or Sabu and Abyss and uh, TNA. With their hardcore like, matches. They low. were dangerous, but they were great. But, so, I'm not crapping on CZW, so I don't want to get, like, 6,000 messages about how I'm wrong about CZW. I'm not at all going down that route. I'm just saying, not, not my thing. Yeah. No, I mean, I kind of agree with you, too. Um, so, yeah, give me all the hate mail. Um, I don't even go on my Twitter, but go for it. Uh, um, yeah, I 
I don't know. I just don't want anyone to get hurt, but that's stupid. It's, it's wrestling. It's a form of wrestling. I honestly, Chris, and I would rather watch them, you know, stab each other like a stuffed pig, even going back and dating to Bruiser Brody with that duel of the butcher and some of the matches I've seen with them and, and the Sheik, uh, Sabu's uncle, um, not the Iron Sheik, the Sheik. Uh, not telling you that, Chris, but like the listeners. Um, but either way, uh, I'd rather watch that than a lot of comedic level stuff that I see in wrestling today. Just that's not my thing. Um, and some people, that's their thing. And if that's your thing, great. Everyone has a grasp on reality. And as long as you believe your reality is the best reality out of everyone. So I think what Dane was saying is basically as long as you like what you like, that's all that really matters. And by all means, like I said, I, we're definitely not talking bad about Nick Cage or Sabu, so no one take it that way. Just take it as what it is. Um, it's going to be, I guess it'll be a very yeah, just, uh, you know, that style of wrestling. Don't take it the wrong way at all. But let's, uh, let's, let's transition to uh, go in another direction about talking about the Grace Royal Rumble. Does that sound good, Chris? Yeah, man, sounds great. All right. My friggin' headphones. Now my phone does a thing that if it calls, it just cuts off my headphones completely. Isn't that great? Sounds awesome. Yep. <laughs> yeah. All right. I have a Walmart. So Grace Royal Rumble. Yeah, no kidding. Um, so the Grace Royal Rumble was in Saudi Arabia. You were living under a fucking rock. Uh, that's the location of it. It was in uh, Zena, or is it Jenna or Zena? It's Jetta, I believe. Uh, Jetta. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. Jetta. But um, in a beautiful, giant arena, uh, I'll say that the audience, especially, they looked really happy and intrigued the whole entire time. Well, everyone that wasn't in the uh, front row, uh, that was actually empty for a good portion of it, uh, left for the royal family and whatnot. Uh, and then they came and kind of, you know, it was an event that they paid for, basically. Um, we will get into some of the controversy. Uh, me and Chris will go over that at the end of this. Um, but as of right now, let's go over the actual results. Uh, the first match, which I told you, um, I think immediately when it happened, I, I messaged Chris and said, wow, I can't believe they're starting with this match. Oh, yeah, that's right. We didn't watch it live. We watched it later on. So I, I told him when I watched it, which was really cool, actually. You know, I got to say, Someone said that if they were to put WrestleMania like earlier in the day on Sunday, then it probably wouldn't be a bad thing at all, especially for people over here in the East Coast. Um, unless you want to fucking watch six hours from 7 until like 11 o'clock. Uh, yeah, but it was during the daytime. It was a really cool thing to like, you know, work all day, come home, be able to watch it, pop it in, ready for the greatest Royal Rumble. Started off with John Cena and Triple H. Yes. Tanahashi and Suzuki, if you guys have been paying attention to what I was saying earlier. Not really. Um, and John Cena defeated Triple H. So I believed I said that John Cena would win. I don't remember exactly, but I said that John Cena needed a win. Yes, yeah, I think I picked them. But both men kicked out of each other's finish, but Cena was able to hit an attitude adjustment for the win. After the match, Cena cut a promo thanking Saudi Arabia for its hospitality. It was really nice. Um promo it seemed very genuine he even said like with all the stuff going on in his world he would never uh he would never miss this event for anything 
Uh, a lot of stuff you could tell there was a lot of sincerity to the crowd. Might not have been to the actual customs of stuff, but we'll get to that, like I said, at the end of this thing. But I thought this was a really good old-school match, Chris. Um, I don't think that they, they – it was very methodical, very old-school heel, baby face. Nothing too crazy, but I liked how they got into it. It was a fun match. Uh, they played the crowd really well. I mean, you got two of the best um, of all time when it comes to, you know, having wrestling experience. And I think they did a damn good job. I liked how he threw him into the um, turnbuckle and, and kind of springboarded that into his last attitude adjustment on Triple H to get the win. Uh, how did you feel about the match? I actually really enjoyed the match uh, as well. I thought it was, like you said, it, was, it, was, it had a little old-school flair to it. It definitely was a John Cena-Triple H match, so I've seen many of those. So it was in their format. It actually went longer than I thought it was going to go. It was close to 20 minutes or whatever. Um, and I, I did appreciate the promo John Cena cut. He is a all-in company guy. I think that he wears that well. That's why he's been the face of the company for so long, and he's able to deliver you know, heartfelt promos whenever needed. Um, but yeah, I, I enjoyed the match. And, and for it to be the start match, it makes sense to put two of the biggest WWE names probably in the past you know, 20 years up there. I would say Triple H and John Cena are really well-known all over the place. Triple H obviously being the CEO of the company and John Cena being John Cena. Um, so I, th- I thought it was a good way to open the show and try to get the crowd alive. I'm glad that they didn't put this thing in the middle um, because there are some other stuff, like, you know, with uh, the Cedric and Alexander match, for instance, uh, where the crowds not may not necessarily know them, um, which we're going to go into, like I said, the custom stuff later, it, it, like the, the cultural stuff later, I should say, not custom, but cultural stuff later, um, even some of the requests that, for different wrestlers, uh, some of which had passed away. So I think a little little out of touch with what, you know, current WWE product is. So it makes sense having a big-name staple, you know, like a Triple H and a John Cena start the thing off. Yeah, apparently uh, the Prince has the network, but uh, he's not really paying attention to the date category. Oh, Lord. If, just to let you guys know, and we'll talk about it more. Uh, but he requested three wrestlers, specifically. One was The Undertaker. What you got? And the other was Yokozuna. And the third one was the Ultimate Warrior. Uh, Undertaker might be the dead man, but uh, he's not dead like the Ultimate Warrior and Yokozuna is. And I'm not trying to laugh that they're dead, but the fact that you're just kind of out of touch and you just don't know that, uh, that's the reason why you see a... Um, not, Chris, when I saw the, the sumo wrestler, I, I just figured that he was like a wrestler known over there or something like that. Like... No, he was – basically, they tried to get Akibano, who they've, had, they've been involved with before. He's actually a huge star over there as far as uh, sumo wrestling and professional wrestling. He just recently had heart surgery, so I don't think he's wrestling anymore. So he hooked him up with the, the guy that he was training. I forgot what his name was. He was in for very brief with Mark Henry, and they got tossed out. Uh, but that's why he was in there to take place of Yokozuna, which the funniest thing in all this is Yokozuna is not even from Japan or sumo wrestler. Yokozuna literally means sumo wrestler in Japanese, and he's Samoan, part of the Rock family tree, actually. So just like a whole bunch of craziness. Um, but like I said, we'll get over we'll, – we'll, we'll talk about some of that fun stuff coming up. There's plenty of fun on the way. But you know what wasn't yeah. that fun? Was, 
was the audience during this next match. What were you going to say, Chris? Well, what I was, all I was going to say is the uh, the sumo wrestler thing. When you commented, like I I either thought that he was over in some indie promotion there that we didn't know about, or yeah. he was just there for Mark Henry to throw out of the ring. It's like look how strong Mark Henry is. Like I literally thought he was just the guy to show off how strong Mark Henry is because Mark Henry was there, I believe, a week early doing the Be a Star stuff. Uh, him and Mojo Rawley were over there doing Be a Stars in different schools and locations, um, doing WWE's Be a Star. So I just assumed it was like a good moment because I'm sure Mark Henry has been on the news and they talked up this event. Um, so it would make sense to have you know, Mark Henry pick up a huge dude and just toss him over the rope. So I, I literally thought he was just there for the Mark Henry spot. <laughs> yeah, that's literally the same thing I thought, but the reasoning is even better. The fact that they were like, shit, we don't have a Yokozuna. What do we do? Uh, let's get another Yokozuna. Oh, God. WWE. Uh, like, what was the point? You get someone that's so over in the Middle East, like the great Kali, even in Saudi Arabia, he's a huge star over in India, if you guys didn't know that. He's in a bunch of Bollywood movies. He's just a big thing over there. Kind of like, I guess, how we perceived Andre uh, in a lot of ways. And the poor guy who's walking, just looks, it's painful to watch him walk, goes in the ring and gets dumped the fuck over immediately getting in there. And his, his uh, fall was not, like, pretty at all. Like, just let the Kali do his thing, man. Like, hey, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm just worried about people that are wrestlers. Uh, all right, Cruiserweight Championship match. Cedric Alexander defeated Kalisto. Alexander uh, countered the Salida del Sol into a lumbar check to retain a championship. This is a great match. Um, there was a lot of good stuff. Um, I think there was like, Kalisto did like some type of Spanish fly, I believe, off top rope. And just that ending with the Salida del Sol going into a lumbar check. Great stuff, but the audience didn't know who the hell these guys were. So it was kind of uh, dead in there. It was a transitional time period, but still a great match. Uh, Chris, how did you feel? I actually thought it was a pretty good match, considering I've seen Cedric and Kalisto work together a bunch. I thought they gave them a pretty good amount of time to get what they needed done. And uh, like the match itself, that, that finish that you were just talking about, where you had Selena De Sol into the lumbar check, I thought it was like kind of creative and, and pretty cool. Uh, when we talked about this match previously, we were talking about predictions. I, I think I said Cedric Alexander on that one uh, just because I didn't think they were going to flip the title. <sighs> that being said, uh, I, I think that it was just like we need luchadors. Like they know who luchadors are kind of thing. Or like they're aware of luchador, you know, because luchadors are, are popular. They're kind of almost mythological in a way uh, with luchador wrestling. But, yeah, the crowd definitely was – was Denzi for this one. But that happens with a lot of 205 live matches in America. I think there's just not a huge exposure to 205 in a way that there should be. And that just goes back no. to the things that we've talked about on this podcast before with you really got to focus on these guys and they definitely need to get a Johnny Gargano or a Tomasa Ciampa or someone that people someone that moves the meter. And I love Cedric Alexander. I think he's great. I just He needs a heel like a really big heel to go against uh, for that character to really work. So, like, if I'm them, I'm looking at Ciampa and going, as soon as we get done with this Gargano thing, let's put him over there as the top heel, um, Devil style, because I think he'd do well with there. People would watch him more if Tommaso Ciampa was the main heel over there, for sure. 
I, I definitely agree with that. There's supposed to be a return. Um, actually, no, that was last night. I don't remember seeing who it was. It had to have been someone small. I'm, I'm assuming no one Dar returned to 205 Live, but I was hoping Neville. But I think I would have seen that all over my Facebook feed if that was the case. I think I have to get over the whole Neville thing, Chris. I think Neville's going to write out his contract and then go somewhere else, unfortunately. But he would be a great guy to go against uh, Cedric Alexander right now. Him or Austin Aries? Oh, yeah, that's right. Man, all their champions, all of them are gone. Enzo's gone. Neville's going to be gone. Austin Aries, well, he never was champion, but he should have been. Shit. Rick Swan. What's going on with 205 Live, man? Actually, it's, it's gotten a lot better. I'll, I'll, I'll give that. Every time I tune in, I like, I like what uh, Drake Maverick, is that what the hell they're calling him? What he does, he has a lot of charisma, and their matches have gotten a lot more interesting and serious. They're not trying to be so cutesy. Drew Gulak has really put it up a notch. Um, but either way, all right, let's keep on going. Raw Tag Team Championship match. Matt Hardy and Bray Wyatt defeated the bar. I forgot their their name of their tag team. Uh, it's like the Broken Eater of Worlds, or I don't know what the hell. Um, but, yeah, I saw this coming a mile away. Uh, this was for the vacant Raw Tag Team Championship. Hardy and Wyatt won after a double-team twist of fate on Sheamus to become the new champs. This match was whatever. I don't remember anything from this match, Chris. I just knew going into it that Brooke and Matt Hardy and uh, Bray Wyatt were probably going to win because the bar is not on Raw anymore. That's that's how I processed that. What do you think? Yeah, I, I, can we, I think we both kind of agreed on that when we did the prediction show that that was going to be the case. I thought it was okay tag match. It wasn't anything special. It was shorter than some of the other matches. Um, it's going to be weird to see what they do with the bar now that they're on SmackDown, if this is going to lead to the eventual breakup of the bar, um, which I'm all for uh, at this point. I think it's ran its course. But, you know, that being said, it, it, the best thing that came out of that and this match happening was Matt Hardy's Twitter posts all throughout the week, especially when he finally arrived in Saudi Arabia and he's just standing next to the Red Sea, calling it the Sea of Red. Uh, it's pretty good. I don't know why that stuff is just not front page on WWE's Facebook and their Twitter or Twitter and you know on the WWE website because it, it was great. It was really really well done. And I'm excited to see where they go with with Bray and Matt. I think it will eventually lead up to some kind of breakup. But it'll be cool to see the ebbs and flows in between that relationship. And to me, it's the most interesting thing Bray's done. Um, yeah, in two years since he won the title. So, which was after last year's WrestleMania, right? Or right before it. So, yeah, in, in two years, this is the most interesting thing Bray's done, for me at least. Yeah, that's not good, but uh, I do completely agree with you. Um, let's talk about uh, Matt's brother, Jeff. He had a U.S. championship match against Jinder Mahal. This is honestly... We're get, we'll, we'll get to it. I mean, it wasn't the biggest drop of the night. We'll get to that one as well. Uh, with Titus, but this is pretty bad. This match was one of Jinder's better matches in the ring. I thought Jeff was a good dance partner for him. I thought they had a pretty decent match, but everyone's going to remember um, the, the towards the finish, before Hardy won with the uh, Swanton Bomb, he went for a whisper in the wind, and, you know, he goes to do the backflip. Jinder's in the complete wrong place, and Jeff 
basically doesn't even hit him, does a backflip off it, falls on his back, you know. Uh, and Jinder paused for a second and then fell down, as if, I guess, the wind knocked him over. And it was really fun to see Michael Cole, who are, they're probably both getting different things to say from, from Vince Mayer, who's freaking the fuck out in the back. Um, Michael Cole and Corey Graves go back and forth on what exactly happened. Michael said that he hit him somewhat, and then they show a replay right after that of it happening where he didn't touch him at all. And Corey's like, well, no, he obviously didn't touch him, uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. It was actually quite comical. Um, I don't know maybe if Jeff actually was, you know, positions himself and projected in the wrong place. I think I would have to throw that on gender. He, usually, he does it all the damn time. Um, but it probably would have made a lot more sense to just start attacking the shit out of Jeff instead of all of a sudden just botch falling, if you will, and pretending that you got hit by the air. Um, because you could be like a heel, like, oh, he just missed me. Well, I'm going to beat the crap out of him. But Jinder didn't do that. But Jinder had a pretty decent match, and his mic work has gotten really good, and he's a solid heel. You know, I talked a lot of shit about him. He's grown a lot on me. But that was pretty damn hilarious. It's not as bad as Titus O'Neil's slide, but like I said, we'll get to that. Chris, what did you think about this match? You know, up until that spot, I thought that this was a pretty decent match and one of the better Jinder matches. Um, you too. He's just able to get the crowd behind him in a way. Like, as soon as his music hit, the crowd was behind him. Um, there's just something about that dude where he has a natural charisma that other wrestlers doesn't possess. It's not like Jeff is the greatest wrestler of all time or that he's the greatest talker of all time. He's just a guy that naturally shines, that people just want to like. Um, it's weird. And I feel like as soon as music hit, the crowd was behind him 100%. They definitely hated gender. Um, obviously, you're not going to get the same as like a WWE crowd, but uh, or like a, an American WWE crowd, I should say. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was definitely like they knew who to cheer for. They were super happy that you know Jeff was kicking that ass uh, there at the end. And in the bot spot, you're totally right. I blame that 100% on gender. Jeff fell the way he did because he was expecting like, oh, we messed that spot up. He should attack me now. And gender froze and didn't know what to do. Yep. Um, some of that's just, like, in-ring experience. Some of that is, like, I don't know, man. These guys, like, depending on when they flew over, that's, like, an eight, nine-hour, like, well, actually, it's longer than that. That's a super long flight. Maybe Tinder <laughs> was just tired. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, uh, taking the taking the bump there without being hit was bad. But what was worse was the replay. Like, don't replay it. Don't talk about it. And then it doesn't exist. Like, it'll exist yeah, I wish people it... really, really paying attention, but don't replay someone's mistake and then talk about it and argue about it. If anything, I'm burying the commenting, the commentary, and I'm burying the person that decided to run a replay there. Uh, I, I, the only thing I can do, like, the, the only thing that would have saved Jinder Mahal is if he, like, faked a knee injury and then poked Jeff in the eye or something at that point. And, and now you're, like... Thinking, like you're thinking about it, we're, well, I'm thinking about it retrospectively. You got to think about that shit on the fly, like seconds, right? So I, I don't blame him too much. Like you're, you're working in front of a live audience in this country you haven't worked in ever, and there's a big spot you miss it, probably just flop and that's it. So I don't look too much into it. I don't, you know, it's, it's a botch. They happen. Um, it's it's still. It's a wrestling botch, though. It's not. It's definitely not as bad as what happened to Titus O'Neil, <laughs> which is the second time it's happened. <laughs> definitely, definitely not. Not not as bad. Yeah. The worst part was definitely the presentation. 
the presentation around it after it happened is what drew attention to it, which made it seem way worse than it was. Oh, yeah, man. I mean, that was the biggest thing is the fact that they kept on going over it. Um, but either way, Jeff won. Um, I think that Jeff Jeff has a lot in common with uh, his one of his favorite wrestlers, Sting, I think, for a lot of those reasons that you said, that Sting I – mean, and it's, it's past the face paint. It's the fact that both of them are just so much charisma. Might not be the best guy on the mic, even though I think Sting would be better – it might not be the best guy in the ring, even though Jeff, I think, would be better in that category. But they just have something with the audience that they just prevail as this baby face and this badass. Finn Balor kind of has that. Seth kind of has that. It's, it's certain wrestlers have that type of quality. Um, and it doesn't come off arrogant. Like, like Sean kind of had some of the qualities of that, but Sean might have been a better performer overall. But Shawn Michaels kind of was arrogant as shit with it, too. Um, but, yeah, I, I definitely agree. Just like... Pure baby face, but pure badass, but, like, not the greatest Mike guy um, a lot of the times either. Strange. Um, all right, so let's go to the next. Oh, actually, so they had the four best participants in the Saudi Arabian tryouts. Uh, Triple H is now going to be doing this thing where he wants to set up, or at least it's what he says. He wants to set up different performance centers in different countries, and one of them uh, he wants to put in Saudi Arabia. I don't know if he's telling them that, or and he wants to put somewhere in the Middle East, or if it actually is Saudi Arabia, but that's what we're hearing. Um, they had some tryouts that Mark Henry and Mojo Ali and a couple other people participated in, like, looking over these guys. One of them I see a lot of potential in. Uh, he's apparently a wrestler over there. He's 17 years old. He, spe- he spoke English the best, but that actually had nothing to do with it. It was his charisma, his passion. When he had the mic... He commanded the whole entire place. He he got the other guys into it and helping them pose and stuff like that. For a 17-year-old, that guy has a lot of friggin' potential. Uh, they tried to go in a comedic route with this. Uh, they were interrupted by Arya Davari and the returning Sean Davari. We haven't seen Sean in probably over 10 years in WWE. Uh, they're from Iran. Iran and Saudi Arabia don't get along, but it's not like Canada and the U.S., which uh, we don't get along. I mean, we get along, but... For some reason, that makes a rivalry, if you get what I'm saying. Um, who insisted that Iran was better. Uh, the Davaris got beaten up by the rookies and taken out. And then later on, Sean Davari got several death threats along with his brother on Twitter uh, from both Iranians and Saudi Arabians, uh, which is great. That's a cool thing to come home to on your Twitter page. Chris, how did you feel about this uh, little segment? Man, I this would work in any other country, like in a lot of other countries, you can do Canadians versus Americans. You can do, you know, in Mexico, you can do Mexico versus America and England, you can do the UK versus America. There, there's some validity to what they were trying to do, but they went full on like iron sheet versus like Hulk Hogan with this segment, or at least that's what it seemed like. And it was supposed to be comedic. And the idea was you get a pop because, the fans get to see their heroes or the, the people from their country beat up these guys from a the country they don't like. Like, it's just easy, like, easy mode wrestling booking. The backlash from it, though, was very unexpected. Like, I did, I was just like, oh, well, you know, that's to send the crowd home happy. Their guys beat the, beat the crap out of the Iranians. Whatever. That's just typical wrestling, right? America beating Russia in the 80s. It's just a thing that, you know, wrestling has done forever. It's, 
it was just way more of a sensitive subject. And then it was both sides of the fences, both Iranians and people from Saudi Arabia were apparently uh, upset about it. So it's kind of a nuts deal, and it really sucks for the Dabari brothers. Um, yeah. I don't really have – I mean, outside of that, I agree. I think that you did – you know, the, the guy with the longer hair, I think is who you were talking about, definitely had the most charisma of three. You're opening a developmental center there. I think you, he's probably going to have the most potential. Obviously, you know, there's some guys that have a little bit more size, but uh, with 205 Live being what it is, you could, you could see him in the future. I, I don't know. It's a weird thing um, in general. Like, I just don't know where they're going with that developmental center and, and now what they're going to be running there. That's almost a different conversation altogether as far as how that thing is going to work out. So. Absolutely. Hey, did you get a, a – I just sent you a message of a shirtless dude. Did you get that by any chance? Yes. <laughs> that was – that's Braun Strowman from nine years ago. <laughs> oh, great. I'm glad the audience can visualize this. Make sure to throw it on the – throw it on the table. <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll be on a social hello, media page. Does he got a Hello Kitty hat on? What the fuck? <laughs> it's amazing, my dude. Ron Strowman oh, hat with no beard. That's all you need to know. <laughs> it's not even scary without the beard. Uh, all right, like, like he um, looks like a complete. Ba- maybe when he transitions to completely baby face, he just <laughs> rocks that look. <laughs> no, man, he can't. He can't change his look no more. There's no way. It would be uh, <laughs> very, very, very bad. Um, Alright, anyways So we had the Smackdown Tag Team Championship match The Bludgeon Brothers defeated the Usos Um, It was a a decent match Uh, I mean, I'm just kind of It it, it seems like Smackdown has some of the best tag teams But they kind of give us very similar pairings uh, constantly, and it kind of just becomes boring after a while. So I'm glad some of this new bud, like the club and stuff like that, is over on SmackDown, so we can get some new uh, some new feuds. Um, I, I, but I still want the Usos to have those damn titles. I like Jimmy Uso a lot. I like his brother as well, but he's definitely uh, more my favorite out of two. They just, they're just damn good in the ring. They're both charismatic as hell, and they're Rikishi's kids, man. You know, um, how did you feel, Chris? Well, I thought the match was a, basically a TV tag match. It wasn't anything special. I, I agree with you. I love the Usos a lot. But outside of that, like, the, the same way the Hardy match was forgettable for you, this one was, I hate to say it, was a little forgettable for me. I'm, I, I think I'm done with the Bludgeon Brothers. I, I, think, it, I think that I'm, I'm done with it. I, I don't like it. I, I thought that I was going to eventually come around and maybe be like, well, look, they're going for this thing. Not, just, I don't know. Not fed. Honestly, I think the biggest thing is the hammers and shit. The fact that they look like LARPers. Like, if they came out kind of like that, but, like, less like they're from the fucking medieval days and shit and just were intimidating and had the same music, I think it'd be a hell of a lot more effective. Than, especially their masks. Their masks are pretty badass. But the rest of it with the with the the, the cape and, and the, the hammers that you can tell are made in the same place that Evil gets his fucking weapons from, it just... Like call a, like a spirit place, Halloween spirit store, some shit. Um, it's it's brutal. It kills dude. it. It's absolutely brutal. It kills it. Yeah, it kills it. 
they don't even, they don't need that. They're both giant dudes versing the New Day and the Usos and fan like well not now but you get what I'm saying like why do they need yeah. bludgeoning doesn't necessarily mean to hit someone with a hammer. You can bludgeon someone to death with your fist like it. That's not <laughs> like something that Michael Hayes and fucking Vince were talking about like well they're, they're the Bludgeon Brothers so we need hammers. And then that was it. That was about the thought process that went into it. Uh, just why not just waste. I, I think. Like, why not well, just straight sledgehammers? I, I know I'm not just the only mark for Luke Harper. It's the fact that it sucks because I think Luke has so much damn potential. In ring, the dude reminds me of The Undertaker in the way that Seth reminds me of Shawn Michaels. It's a similar style. And those eyes, man, you can't get that in wrestling sometimes. We talked about this before. Bruiser Brody, Cactus Jack, Abdul the Butcher, Suzuki, um, Tommaso Ciampa. They all have these, these scary eyes. And Luke Harper's might be some of the most, like, like a murderer, like a psycho. And they could do so much with him. He's basically, dude, he's Cactus Jack meets The Undertaker, and he's with this stupid gimmick. And Eric Rowan's become a better wrestler for a big guy, dude. And they can have like a Kane Undertaker style concept going on still, where they they fight against each other and then they team up and shit. But I don't think the Bludgeon Brothers is going to help at all. I think it's going to just hurt Luke uh, Harper a hell of a lot more in the long run. Do you agree? Yeah, I agree. And I kind of think that like tag teams in this manner with the mythical concept only works nowadays if you have built them before, like Undertaker and obviously. Yep. In a cave. But like you like the ascension flopped as soon as they hit the main roster. You know what I mean? And that's a similar yep. we're gonna do a weird thing and hopefully people like it, but as soon as they hit the main roster they flopped. And they were huge in NXT. Um I just don't think that the crowd buys it or even likes it. Uh, I think if you took the hammers away and the Kane nineteen ninety eight Kane esque outfits off <laughs> um, I, I think that you would get a better. They look worse. And I mean, the name is fine. Like it's not even the name that bothers me. It's just like they're hitting these. They're hitting dudes with like rubber hammers, and they have to sell this. And it's just weird. It's almost better if they do the hand over the end of a sledgehammer, like Triple H used to do. Like I just do that if you really have to utilize a hammer. But they don't even need that. That's the thing. Is like. Two big badass dudes. They should just be two big badass dudes. You can call them whatever. I don't know. It's just very silly. Well, let's, let's talk about one of my favorite matches of the night. Uh, we had yeah. a ladder match for the Einer. What? No, no. I said, yeah, yeah. Let's go. Sorry. Oh, no, no, no. You're fine. Um, ladder match for the Intercontinental Championship. Uh, Seth Rollins defeated Finn Balor, Samoa Joe, and The Miz. Balor appeared to have the match won, but Rollins sprung into the ring and onto the ladder and snatched down the belt before Balor was able to react. Um, This match was short for a ladder match, but still a shit ton of fun. Uh, Samoa Joe had some pretty bad bumps in it. Actually, all of them did. It's a ladder match, but his notably, uh, I definitely remember uh, a little bit more so than others. But I think that the thing that, that steals this match away, uh, the biggest spot was that ending spot. And I have never seen that in a ladder match. Usually it's two guys that beat the crap out of each other and they're slowly going up the ladder and finally one falls and the other one grabs the thing. 
They had it so that happened, but Finn Balor was the guy that was about to win, and Seth Rollins was outside, jumped springboard onto the damn ladder, and while Finn was propping himself up to be able to reach to grab the ladder to pull it down, Seth climbs up one more above him, grabs it, rips it off of it, and retains the Intercontinental Champion. I was a big fan of this match and a big fan of the finish because I thought it, it made it look kind of real. How would you feel, Chris? Uh, this was my favorite match of the night, even including the Rumble. I, I thought this was the most fun match. Uh, the springboard spot, I feel like he, uh, he might have pulled that from the, from the Rick Shea a little bit from the NXT TakeOver. I did like that he actually won the title that way, but Rick Shea did the same thing, um, springboarding yeah. to, to keep the other guy from getting the title, um, and the ladder tipped over, so I don't know where that would have went you know, from that spot, because they basically the ladder... I think that was a little bit of a botch for the ladder tip to that match. I, I went back and watched that match twice, by the way. And it's still damn ricochet, so good. That match, that match is yeah. great. Um, but yeah, this match was really good too, and I did like the finish. I liked it that he, you know, used his Seth Rollins style to get the title and beat Finn, and it gives you a reason to like have a Finn Seth Rollins feud even further. Like, I wish they would have played up the fact that like. Rollins was outside taking a break for so long. Um, the only other spot recently that I can think of where someone like kind of ran up the ladder in that manner or got up the ladder really, really quick is, is uh, Miz, like when Miz did it for, I believe, one of one of the ladder matches. Miz is it was either Money in the Bank or the IC title match, but he played like chicken shit heel the entire time. And then when everyone was knocked out, he just scaled that thing really fast. Grab the title down or the money in the bank down. I can't remember the exact match, but yeah, Miz has done it. But it was it was a cool spot. But the first thing I thought about was like, man, Ricochet does something, and everybody wants to get on get on that level. Not that he was the first person to ever do it, but that, that that's immediately what I thought. I was like, oh, this is like the NXT spot. And then he went up and grabbed the title, and I was like, oh, well, that was cool because I didn't see it coming. I just thought the ladder was going to tip or they were going to hit a move off. I actually thought he was going to like land there and then hit him with a sling blade or something off of it, like some kind of move off of the ladder. Um, but, yeah, it was cool. And Samoa Joe definitely channeled his inner Kevin Owens and took all the bad, terrible, not, not terrible in the way he did it, but all the really hurting bumps off the ladder, it seemed like, which was Kevin Owens' wow. ladder match he was in. <laughs> Jesus, those ladder matches, man, that just that just can't be fun. But uh, yeah, dude, and that's 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 a match pairing that I can't wait to see. That I hope we get to see. But then again, we haven't seen Seth Rollins against AJ Styles yet. But still, Seth Rollins and Ricochet in the ring together will be magic. Those guys will put on a fucking amazing match, I think. Or maybe they won't. Maybe they won't mesh well because they're too similar. I don't. I don't think that that could be possible. Uh, yeah, right. I mean, uh, Seth Rollins good. is so good. Seth Rollins is so good about changing his style for whoever he's wrestling. I don't think that would be a problem at all. Seth Rollins is easily climbing up to, like, my top five best wrestlers. Uh, especially with over the past month, he's got over this the, the fear of that knee and the way he's been working in the ring, the, the Monday Night Rollins stuff that he did. Uh, he's looking like a million bucks right now. So he, he's slowly climbing up as one of my favorite wrestlers. So him and Ricochet in the ring wouldn't be a problem at all because Seth can slow it down. Um in a way that would make it very believable. Um, and then also you get the chance of, like, you could have, like, a Will Ospreay-Ricochet-style match with those two, which would be fucking incredible oh. um, in, in a WWE-style setting. Um, 
So yes, I would, I would love that match. I think it would be fucking awesome. You're speaking magic, sir, and I am Harry Potter. All right, let's get on to uh, the WWE Championship match. AJ Styles versus Shinsuke Nakamura ended in a double countout. Well, I will say that this match was better than their WrestleMania match. I actually really love the dynamic of Shinsuke Nakamura as a heel, but they went for a dusty finish, if you will. Um, so, obviously, we're going to have more of this situation, Chris, but um, how would you feel about the result of this match? I thought it was a good match up until the bullshit ending. Well, I mean, I predicted that I actually predicted that Shinsuke would just low blow him and when he was about to get beat to end the match, I believe that's what I said on last week's podcast because I, I had AJ Styles retaining here. Fine with the finish. It, it didn't hurt anything. They only did one this pay-per-view, so I don't have a huge problem with it. And it built to, I mean, it built to the storyline on SmackDown. Um, and it also, you know, showed how mad uh, AJ Styles was at Shinsuke because he just keeps getting hit in the dick by uh, teleporting Japanese ninja. <laughs> <laughs> the way it happened last night was so stupidly dramatic, man. It was like Samoa Joe's waiting for him. Where is he? Where is he? And all of a sudden you hear, oh! And he's underneath like he just ripped his head off or some shit. It was, dude, it's a low fucking blow. I don't know. It's, I do like Shinsuke, it's though. It's pretty as awesome. It's, it's pretty awesome. Like, it's very... Man, we, we've talked Yano. about Yano more in the past, like, couple weeks than we've ever talked about Yano, but it does have Everyone has been. Yano. Yano's stock has gone up because of his ex-Chaos partner, Shinsuke, or ex-Chaos leader, Shinsuke Nakamura. Yano's stock has gone up in the wrestling business. But it's, uh, I mean, everything they're doing with Nakamura right now has made me like him more because if, if anyone's been, I mean, if, for the people that have listened to the podcast week after week, I've been a little down on Nakamura since he got to the main roster. As soon as the heel turn happened, and it kind of just gave him this weird character where he's just hitting people in the dick and telling people that he doesn't speak English, and he's kind of teleporting. <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> he's it's a strong awesome. with a dick chop. Like, what the <laughs> fuck was that? I was... <laughs> the only thing that makes this better is if WWE wasn't PG, and they changed it from King of Strong Style to King of Dick Style. <laughs> oh, something. my God. Oh, you know what I want to happen so bad now? I want, I want Shinsuke to end uh, Joey Ryan's dick career. Like, you know, just come and do one of those fucking things when he tries to, like, throw around people with his cock. All right, he's had he's had enough <laughs> of me talking about him on his damn show with his dick throws and shit. Uh, Anyways, all right, so steel cage match, Universal Championship. Brock Lesnar defeated Roman Reigns. Did he really defeat him? Uh, Reigns speared Lesnar through the cage and onto the floor, where it was ruled out that Lesnar hit the floor, despite the fact that Roman definitely hit with his arms. Um, well, basically, yeah, he hit the floor first. I'm looking at a gif of it. And it's him over and over again. By the way, that spear looks really ugly. He basically just went headfirst into his sternum until they hit the floor. And then he's bounced with his neck right off of it. Uh, definitely didn't look pleasant for Roman for that whole thing. Poor Roman, man. This experiment still keeps on going. They addressed it last night on fucking Raw. Or not last night, but two nights ago on fucking Raw. And still are not even doing anything about it. So... You know, we're not going to be able to get to Ron Smackdown because we got to go over backlash and everything. But I really think 
especially with Roman, like I said to you, Chris, before this, raising Roman's hand, coming out for his save and stuff like that, trying to give him a rub off of, of, of Braun, him winning the rumble we're about to go over. I think that Braun might be getting pushed forward, and I think Roman might be getting pushed a little bit in the background. And I would love a heel turn. I don't know if it's ever going to happen, but either way, this was actually a, a pretty cool cage match between the two of them. It wasn't a bad match. Um, just another scree finish, and uh, I don't understand if they were meaning to go for that or if they fucked up and they, you know, just like the whole um, John Cena and, and Batista eliminating each other during the Royal Rumble or Sean grazing his foot on the ground when he was supposed to, like, you know, uh, uh, get back in the ring for the Royal Rumble. Uh, or if they were really going to go for this to cause more bullshit for Raw. I, I don't know. How do you feel about this match? Well, I'll say the thing about Sean is both feet have to touch the floor. Only one foot hit the floor. Like, he took that shit literally and used it, and it was amazing, which is why when Dolph Ziggler does it, it doesn't fucking matter, because Sean was the first person to do it. So stop fucking Get in the cat. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, so Sean one foot touching the floor was a literal interpre- interpretation of the rules and what he wanted to do and add drama to that match in a way that was amazing because it's Shawn Michaels and he's incredible. Uh, outside of that, the, the whole thing that brings us into question is Kofi standing on pancakes, not touching the floor. Otherwise, this wouldn't even be a problem because, like, the floor is the floor. So if the cage falls over, you lose. Like, if you're the first person to actually hit, if you're back the first thing to hit, you lose. What happens is now, if there's an object on the floor and you stand on it, then technically you're not touching the floor. So then Roman rolled off first, and therefore he touched the floor first and lost. Right? Is that is that what yeah. happened? Is Brock was so like well Brock this is the dumbest shit ever. His, if you his his feet weren't on the ground because they were dangled up by the fucking thing and Roman yeah like you said he rolled off them and technically he was first. And either way his arms. If you're going to say his body, his arms, you know, around Brock would have hit the ground at the exact same time. So I don't know what they're trying to go for, but it's, it's, yeah, Brock's, I'm looking at this replay. His feet literally never hit the floor because they're still on the cage that, that, that fell, that the panel that fell. Then Roman rolls out of it and is literally touching the floor. He tries to put his feet up on the ring. Uh, I think he did it on purpose, I'm assuming, but it just didn't work out, but. If they're saying by contact, his arms would have touched the floor at the same time, if not before, and then he rolled off of it. So it's a bunch of fucking bullshit. Yeah, but I mean, like, he never touched the floor because if you stand on an object, that's not touching the floor anymore. That, I mean, that's the whole that's yeah. the thing where it gets weird. Like, Kofi doing that spot has ruined Royal Rumbles and these kind of finishes forever because now people are just going to be standing on weird shit. And they're like, technically, they're not out of the ring. And I'm not crapping on Kofi. I think it was funny with the pancakes, and they had the whole pancake entrance. Uh, you know, it was just part of a thing that they thought was funny. But, like, WWE should have just addressed it the next night and be like, that was – actually, Kofi was out there. <laughs> you know, or just something like, upon further review, Kofi was actually eliminated at this number instead of this number. Because it's not like he went on to win the Royal Rumble, so it wouldn't really matter, right? Um, but, yeah, like, I, I don't know. That was a screw finish. Why, I mean, if you want to do that finish, it's a regular match. Just have them knock each other out in the middle of the ring and do a standing 10 count and have that in the match. And that makes both guys look strong, and you have a finish that actually makes sense. 
that you haven't done in a long time. When's the last time they had a standing 10 count, like a knockout 10 count in a match? Like, think about that. Yeah, that that uh, that's the easy finish. That's, that's all you had to do. And all you have to do is look at this WWE referee rulebook that they released to know that if the ref gets to 10, the match is over. Because WWE cage matches, you don't have to necessarily escape. All you have to do is pin, submit the guy, or knock the guy out. How about um, this? The best thing How about have... they took a page? They took a page out of Vince Russo's book and did the same exact thing that he did in WCW to win the fucking title. The fact that they went for that stupid finish to me is just by itself dumb. Yeah, no, I agree. And and what I would say, the best thing out of that match is seeing Paul Heyman heal it up and actually get involved with the match, because he hasn't gotten involved with any Brock matches. To this point, going back, you know, since Brock has been back, Paul has not gotten involved in any of the matches. So I thought Paul Heyman did a good job of telling the story where he legitimately was worried that his champion was going to lose uh, by getting involved in the match. And I thought that was, was great. It was great work by Paul Heyman, and hopefully they build on it. Um, get Paul Heyman more involved as a heel uh, manager and that'll help you get more heat on Brock because Paul Heyman is that good, then maybe this helps with Roman or whoever Brock is facing next. Hopefully they're going to turn, you know, if, if they go Braun route like you're talking, you would have, you know, the monster among men, the man that has beaten the hell out of Braun in the past, um, you get heel Paul. So you can drag this thing out a little bit and make it enticing in a way that wasn't there before. And then hopefully you get the payoff where Brock, you know, beats the hell out of, uh, or gives, you know, Paul a, a big power slam or something. Obviously he's not going to demolish him, but uh, when they did that, my immediate thought was they're going to do the Samoa Joe promo where Roman Reigns runs down Paul Heyman and then chokes him out or, or Superman punches him or something. And they're just going to recycle that. So I'm glad they didn't go that route, but that, that was my initial thought as soon as, like Paul Heyman got involved with that match. I was like, oh, I see what they're trying to do. But uh, just heads up, if anyone from WWE is listening, Roman Reigns, not Samoa Joe, that shit won't work, so don't do it. That's a good point. And I'm surprised that Paul Heyman was involved in this pay-per-view event, honestly. <laughs> you know, he was like, get me the fuck out of this place. Uh, if you guys well, don't know, like Paul legit, Heyman he's, is, is he's Jewish, legit. so... Yeah, but he's Lesnar's legit manager, right? At this point, yeah, like they're really. tied together, even even with the UFC stuff. So I think that he, if, if Brock's going to be there, he's going to be there nearby, in general. Like I think he's completely well. Yeah, but what I'm saying, saying Chris is there. I wouldn't want to go to arena, even if my client wanted me to. The a bunch of people that did not like me, or potentially did not like me. Um, so, but. You know, he's also very, very smart, and like you said, he is the manager, so he's got to be there. Either way, let's get the fuck over with this damn thing and talk about the greatest Royal Rumble match itself. Um, it was a fun Rumble. It really was. Uh, I think I picked Daniel Bryan last minute, and before that I had Braun Strowman, but I'm not 100% sure. But Braun Strowman ended up winning the match. Uh, Big Cass eliminated Daniel Bryan. Those were the last two, three uh, Daniel Bryan set a record for the longest time in the Royal Rumble, lasting from number one until the final three. Um, and then Strowman would defeat Cass to win the match. Um, pretty damn good. Uh, hit, basically, Daniel Bryan had a great show. And Daniel, 
the second person, Dolph Ziggler, had a pretty damn good showing. He would go halfway in the match. Uh, the sumo wrestler was Hiroki Sumai. Um, Mike Kanellis, I think, has beaten the Warlord for the shortest amount of time in the ring. Or maybe it was um, Satino Morella. Either one of those guys. Whoever has the shortest record. Uh, they basically had the sumo wrestler to lose to Mark Henry just so he could lose two seconds later. Um, Hornswoggle made an appearance. That was pretty interesting. Uh, I'm trying to think. Uh, Tucker Knight was involved. That was, I mean, I guess he was there with Mark Henry and Mojo Raleigh along with the other guy from NXT, uh, Baba Tunde. Uh, no, 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 no. There was another one, too. I, f- I forgot. Oh, uh, Dan M- Matha. Uh, that they were all there at the performance, or not the performance center, but in Saudi Arabia, uh, going over tryouts and stuff like that. Roderick Strong lit up Dan O'Brien's chest like a friggin' Christmas tree. There was some bullshit angle um, that Dan O'Brien had an infection on his chest, and that's why he didn't make it on SmackDown. Guys, if you were wondering if he was medically cleared, he was. Uh, he had a dark match with Shinsuke Nakamura. I'm assuming that... He's going to have a feud with Nakamura. So I think Nakamura might beat AJ Styles at Backlash, but we'll get to that prediction in a second. Um, Great Khali came out, very short time period. Chris Jericho was in there for a very short time. A lot of the legends, aside from Rey Mysterio, were in and out pretty quickly, I would say. And, of course, Titus O'Neil made the slide coming out. (laughs) I feel so bad because they try to – they try to maneuver away from this. Um, I forgot what the hell is the name of um, the commentator, but they, they were like, what happened? And, like, you couldn't see. Titus was coming to the ring, and then he was gone. And then he went because Corey was laughing his ass off. He saw the whole thing. I guess he was like his head was up above the monitor or, uh, you know, uh, or watching, basically. Titus went to slide into the ring. He tripped, and he slid underneath the ring. His feet looked like the, the, the Wicked Witch of the East feet did in the fucking Wizard of Oz. It was great underneath the house. Um, so hilarious. And they were they were uh, going to kind of go away from it, but you could just tell Vince apparently thought this was hilarious. He had um, done keep on doing the replay over and over again. Then they made a big deal of it on commentating. And uh, apparently after Titus was done, he came in the back. Vince was laughing still, gave him a huge hug, handshake, you know, told him a good job, and uh, I think they're actually going to use this as a way to kind of, like, give Titus a little bit of a rub. So, hey, man, if it works, it works. That's, sadly, the most memorable thing that happened in the damn Rumble besides maybe Hornswoggle being involved and uh, the winner of it. Uh, but still, fun Rumble. Chris, what did you think? I thought it was fun for what it was. I mean, it was a meaningless Rumble because it's for a trophy. Um, once you told me that, oh, I was green belt. the idea. I was turned off for uh, the Rumble in general. Because of that, I was like, well, why even have a Rumble? But uh, I, I get it. It's fun. And they had a lot of really fun participants. It was cool. That I thought the Kofi Xavier Woods spot was a big spot. It was really fun seeing Xavier Woods <laughs> holding Kofi for such a long period of time on the apron while almost getting tossed out. Uh there was, you know, there was fun rumble moments. But like Titus falling and channeling his inner uh, shock master on Raw <laughs> with uh, the rest of the with the rest of Titus worldwide, like cleaning cleaning the ramp so he didn't slip, and then 
immediately falling as soon as he got in the ring. Like, it's terrible, but, like, if they've relegated him to kind of a comedy role at this point anyways, then fine. Whatever. I'm cool with it. He's like the modern Dick um, Van Dyke. Yeah, he's, you know, he's got merch out now about stumbling in the Rumble, so I appreciate it. I don't know. Maybe maybe Vince likes him more now. I know Vince suspended him for him slapping Vince on the back not that long ago. So, hey, man, whatever works. If that gets you over even Santino Morella over, then great, whatever. It is what it is. It's pretty funny. But immediately when they did it again on Raw, I was like, Dude, they're giving him the Shockmasters gimmick after poor Tugboat fell, <laughs> like early WCW. Um, I don't want to spend too much time on that, but it, I, that was my immediate thought. I was like, oh, damn, Shockmaster without the helmet. And it's, it's bad because he, he fell carrying that keg before, so it's like a thing that they can show both back-to-back, and now they can show the raw one, and now they're going to keep doing it in different ways. And if they do it right, it could be a really funny thing because – I mean, he's mostly, you know, he's a ta- he's a tag wrestler, but originally, like, they kind of put him in, like, a managerial role, and then they brought Dan and Brooke over there. I think it'd be really, really funny if they uh, did something where everyone started slipping around him that's part of Titus Worldwide, where they're about to win a match, and then, like, Apollo Crews, like, randomly slips or, <laughs> like, botches something terrible. It's like his bad luck is rubbing off on him. I think that could be fun, but, uh, yeah, like, I, you know, outside of that... Um, Braun winning was a big deal. Poor Daniel Bryan's chest. I feel like that he got some welcome back chops from uh, some of the boys, it seemed like. I mean, the dude legit had, like, handprints everywhere. They weren't exaggerating on commentary. His his chest did look kind of like hamburger meat. Uh, I wish they would have quit pointing it out after, like, the fifth time, but outside of that, you know. Uh, Dolph Ziggler did Dolph Ziggler stuff in the Rumble. I thought he had a, a decent showing. Um, <laughs> Dolph Ziggler stuff. But, I love that. I mean, you mean he, Shawn Michaels stuff? Yeah, he just did the Dolph Ziggler spots, like where he, every 10 seconds he's almost eliminated. He does it too much for it to mean anything. Like, that's what Kofi does at one time. Kofi has his one big spot, and it always gets over. That's it. That's the only. That's all you need. You don't need like a whole, like you don't have to do it 78 times. It doesn't mean as much. It's the same thing as when I was talking about diminishing returns in hardcore matches. Like it's diminishing at some point. And when you do it every like whatever I've talked about this a zillion times. I don't give a shit anymore. I'm done talking about Dolph Ziggler. I got it. I got it. Dolph Ziggler, go go to go to New Japan. Dolph, do it. Get <laughs> out of WWE. Um. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I just, like, it'd be better for him. Well, you know what's going to help him out, Chris? Is pairing him with a guy that's better on the mic than him. Wait, what? Yeah, that, that'll that, that'll do it. Uh, actually kind of hurts Drew McIntyre more than it helps Dolph Ziggler. Uh, <laughs> that's a good point. <laughs> and I don't even like Drew McIntyre either. <laughs> this is the worst part. Oh. Uh, but anyway. Oh, uh, man. Huh? But uh, Braun winning, I thought was a good spot. It makes sense. They're going to push Braun. Braun's going to get. I think Braun is going to get the title. It makes the most sense at this point after the roster shakeup. Fans are obviously not behind Roman, no matter what country you're in. Um, give it up, dude. Nope. Give, give Roman a, a, a meaningful feud. Maybe maybe have him go against Bray and, and Matt. That'd be fun. Yeah, have Matt have Matt Hardy delete him. I wanted I wanted Roman oh. to be part like. Get, taken control of by Bray Wyatt. I, I pitched that. I was like, have Bray Wyatt turn this guy into a monster. 
where he just does whatever Bray Wyatt says. Well, now you have the perfect opportunity to do it. You have the perfect vessel with Matt Hardy and Bray Wyatt. You could easily have him take over this guy and have have him go win the IC title. And then you could have, you know, a crew of titles and, and like, a, a, a solid faction. And you could build the rest of the Hardy family around it. Get more singular Benjamin. Get, like, there's cool stuff you could do. I'm not done with Roman. I like Roman. I think he's fine. But I think the time, it, like, they should have went with Braun a long time ago. So pull the trigger on Braun now. But, yeah, like, uh, I did have Daniel Bryan winning it. I just thought it would be it, – because it was meaningless and it didn't mean anything, I just thought, like, yeah, you have Daniel Bryan win it. I think it's good that he was the longest – you know, they, they gave him the thing of being the longest reigning person. The other highlight was uh, the 619 into the RKO by Randy Orton. Um, oh, but I'm going yeah. to – I'm also going to shit on, not Randy Orton, but the spot in general. Apollo Crews trying to hit that moonsault into an RKO like absolute garbage. So people stop doing stuff off the top rope just to get RKO'd like it looks bad. Especially when you're trying to do a flip into an RKO because it looks like you totally, it looks like you botched doing your move and yep. then got RKO'd. It's, it's just like the, the, the 619 one into the RKO looks great. The other one looked terrible. But outside of that, those those are some of my favorite spots of the Royal Rumble. That's kind of kind of it. I guess that wraps it up. But yeah, good on Braun, and there was some fun stuff. Yeah, Braun Strowman, man. Um, that belt of his that he got from it, I, I'm surprised he didn't wear it around. You might as well wear some belt. That, I guess it's just taking the place of the Universal Title at this moment. But um, it, it had like a uh, old school feel to it. Like it reminded me of uh, Hulk Hogan's belt back in the 80s, like when he first became champion. It's the green with the, the goldish-reddish on the top. Kind of like how the North American title for NXT reminds me of, like, the old, old-school, like, Buddy Rogers, Bruno San Martino red belt from way back in the early WWF. Not that I was around for any of that shit, but I get on the Internet way too fucking much. That's how I have all this information in my head. Uh, anyways, that was the Greatest Royal Rumble. Well, um, we went over some of the stuff uh, that we were referring to, um, you know, with the Davari brothers, both getting death threats in from Iran and Saudi Arabian um, people that were not happy with them. But uh, to take place in a place like Saudi Arabia, you're going to have these type of uh, issues. And I think the biggest issue uh, commented by Corey Graves and a couple other of the male competitors uh, was the fact that there weren't a lot of any, any of the female competitors there. Um, the Board of um, Athletics, I believe it's called, in Saudi Arabia, actually apologized to the, to the Saudi Arabians that watched it uh, because there was a commercial that briefly had some of the females wrestling in it. So that's like an eye-opener a little bit. Uh, but then you flip on the other side of it. You have a prince that they're working with that has tried to progress his country good amount. Um, they had some little video package, some could say is a propaganda film, uh, that was kind of trying to promote that. And um, recently, uh, we've talked about this, uh, Chris was the one who brought it up actually, was in their country because of his rule, they've been able to give women the right to, to drive cars. That sounds crazy, but, you know, like I said, different cultures. Um, but, yeah, they had some videos promoting that, and then you would think – with Triple H saying that maybe there's potential within this 10 years to do some different things over there. And you get happy when you find out stuff like 
the women wrestlers all got paid as if they did wrestle at the event. Um, I don't know how much that is. Uh, I don't. I have no idea of those details, but they weren't there to make any type of wrestling anyway, so that's, I guess the incentive is nice. Um, but then hearing about the backlash of small parts of a promo pissing off, you know, the community and them having to apologize for that and just death threats and the fact that Sami Zayn, uh, last minute, even though he's been there before with them touring wrestling, uh, when they found out that he was, um, uh, I forgot, Syrian, uh, Syrian descent, they didn't want him involved in the project. So WWE cut him out from the event. Um, I'm assuming possibly that was a reason why Ali didn't win uh, the number one contender to go against. Maybe it's something to do with his location. I don't know. I don't know a lot of information about that. I'm surprised Drew Gulak, like I said beforehand, and also uh, the Walrus was there um, with, uh, why can't I think of his name right now? Uh, Paul Heyman. But Chris, either way, uh, what do you think about all this? Uh, was it the greatest Royal Rumble, really? Uh, no, not for me. And, and I'll tell you why. Because Shawn Michaels being the first man in, last man out, and Ric Flair being the second man in, last man out, was important to wrestling. So obviously those were the greatest Royal Rumble ever. <laughs> right off the bat, those are the two. Like, And this is nowhere near that. And it didn't mean anything because they got a trophy. So, no, it was not the greatest Royal Rumble ever. The title was deceiving. Um, had some good matches. It was fun. From the cultural aspect, it's exactly what I expected it to be. Um, even before this thing, even before the full card was released, when we talked about this in the podcast, I tried to give our listeners at least a heads up on what this was going to be. Uh, my wife grew up in this country. Uh, as an American, so I I understood how this was going to go. Uh, yes, they're making changes and they're moving in the right direction, but you're giving women the rights to drive versus giving women the right to vote in, like, America, oh, like, what, 70 years ago? Oh, I don't know. I don't know the exact number. Um and it does hurt the women's revolution. And I think, you know, while it's good in the short term for the contract that they signed, which is being reported between 400 to 600 million for 10 years, um, it's, it's a big gap, and that's a cultural difference. And I'm not here to talk bad about anyone's culture and where they're from and the politics there at all. Um, but I don't necessarily know it was the best move for WWE in the long term. It is great that the women stars got paid. I, I, I like that. I like that WWE took care of them. I'm sure that they appreciated the time off and not having to travel there and then work raw uh, with that long flight. But at the same time, I, I bet, you know, someone like a Charlotte Flair could feel a little slighted. Uh, I think it was great that they did a, a female main event on SmackDown. I don't know if this had anything to do with it or, or what, but I, I thought that was cool. Uh, and like I said, I, going into this thing, I think they should have done a separate women's event that, that would have either came on after or before, or preferably after, um, with a stacked card of their female wrestlers between NXT and WWE to show that, hey, we're serious about this. We're serious about this women's movement we've been preaching. Yes, this country isn't going to allow us to do that, but that doesn't mean that we can't do our own thing. Like, they have full sail. They 
could have easily did an event, could have easily filmed it, they could have easily put it on the network. That is my biggest disappointment in the entire thing, is that the minds there at the top of the company looked at a paycheck and didn't look at what they're actually trying to accomplish in the long run. If the long run is you're building this women's revolution, then, like, don't do this shit. And if you're going to have to do this shit with certain countries where it's against everything that you're trying to push and promote, then do something else, either after or at a different time, and make it special. It's not like this is this was like, hey, we got a book. They didn't have female competitors that could have wrestled on a separate show. It's not like they both wouldn't have been on the WWE Network. This wasn't live televised. This wasn't a pay-per-view you had to pay for. It was on the WWE Network. You could have butted the show right up against that thing and did one of your six-hour telecasts that you do with the majority of your pay-per-views. And in a way, it's almost insulting to women wrestlers. And I don't want to get too, too deep into this and get really ranty and ragey about it, but there was a way where all parties could have been satisfied and you could have made your company look good even doing this weird thing. And I think they fucking missed the boat by, like, a large margin. Um, outside of yep. that death threat thing, like I said, they did a wrestling thing that has worked for years and years and years. It's tried and true. It wasn't anything special. That's something you can't predict. So I, I don't blame them for that. Um, you would think the heroes winning would be a big moment, but... It, it sucks that it, it came down to that. Outside of that, I mean, it was just a weird scene. It, it, it's what I expected and it's what I kind of warned the crowd, like our fans or our listeners about, is that, hey, this is going to be a weird scene. Um, but, yeah, I, I have a lot of passion, and I, I feel for the women. And I think, mm-hmm. like, I don't want to promote another podcast, but, like, Dave Meltzer and his take on this was, was really well done. And I think if, if you yeah. have harsh feelings towards this at all, I think you should go listen to what Dave Meltzer said about the event and how he talked about the event. He didn't go into details of what you could have done instead. Um, He just said basically he wouldn't have done it at all. I don't necessarily agree with that because at the end of the day, money is money and you do have stockholders and will be held accountable. I do think there was a way to do it better than what WWE did. I don't even think hard. I can't even think that Triple H was happy with this decision completely because apparently Stephanie wasn't allowed. And I know how if, if Stephanie, she understands business, but I, I don't think that she would be happy with this concept at all either. So unfortunately, and I get it, it's about money. This is definitely something that Vince would say, fuck it, we'll sacrifice it, whatever. And they should have done something. They should. This should definitely. We need to get an all women's pay per view event sometime soon in the future, and we need to talk about the women's tag team. We need to put a lot more into this because it's two matches a friggin' night, and they have a whole entire division, and they don't have enough feuds going around. They trade with the same type of people. Well, type of people. I mean, just same people over and over again. Have it stale as shit, and you have probably one on each that kind of matters between the champion and whoever's going against them, and. It it just it lacks. It we need something else. We need. I think a television would, would help out. I think a I think a whole entire show uh, would help out, and I would fucking watch it. It's, it's like Jr. said. It's like they're not even wrestling. How like the old standard female wrestlers would wrestle, where they would hair pull and then snap merit and stuff like that. Like they they wrestle like like you you know like you wrestle basically. I I don't even perceive um, 
you know, if it's a man or a woman at that point, I'm just into the storytelling and the great athleticism, stuff that I like about wrestling, and it just sucks. Um, at the same time, it's like, what do you do? I mean, I don't, you know, um, I don't like cultures to be that narrow-minded. I'll just put it that way. But I feel like with me, I wouldn't want to tell someone how, to, you know, if I'm coming in their country, it's kind of hard to tell someone to change their culture for you. And if you know that it's not going to happen and it's going to be that extreme and your female wrestlers are going to have to stay home, thank you for paying them, but that's kind of really screwy to even deal with that, especially when you're trying to paint a picture during the, the, the wrestling, like everything's great over here and stuff like that, when we know it's not. Uh, but I don't know. I don't want to get too political. We have a little bit left in the show. I want to cover, go over backlash, but I think me and Chris and a lot of people have reason to be passionate about this because it sucks. Because with a situation like that, I get it. But at the same time, it's kind of bullshit. It is bullshit. It really is. Um, yes. And, and even I, even I the mean, Sandy Zane shit. The Sandy Zane shit enrages me just as much, too. That's, that's bullshit. And then to make him lie yeah, about I mean, it and say that he got... What the fuck did he say that he got on, on Raw? I don't remember, but it was such bullshit. Vertigo. Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. And with the Sami Zayn thing, he's, he's wrestled there before. He was just wrestling as El Generico. So, I, I don't know. I don't want to get too far into it. I just The last thing I would say is WWE fucked up. They could have done a better job. They could have at least done an all-female event to show, hey, we know this is a shitty situation, but look, we're giving this. And then they could have got, like, Trish and Lita to do something. Like, there's ways that they could have done this 100 times oh, yeah. and not gotten the bad publicity. And it just goes back to the fact that they, like, name a trophy the Mae Young trophy or, like, bring up, like bring back people that are from the Diva era that were in bra and panties matches. And, like, that kind of shit is it's one step forward and two steps back, especially if you've been watching wrestling that entire time. Um, the fabulous so Moolah Battle Royal. Yeah, like... I'm done with it. Like, you can yeah. serve it off the pie. If you're going to have a women's revolution, have a women's revolution. And if you have to work say, in a country though, where... If you I have to work in a country though, where women just... can't wrestle, do something else. Like, do another event the same day. You no, I agree with do. you. And, but, I, what, but I will say, I, I still believe this firmly. WWE is the reason, I think, in a lot of ways, that women wrestling is being taken a lot more seriously before, more than it ever has. And I think a lot of that has to do with Triple H and a lot of new creators involved in it. And, but at the same time, this was the company at one point that had the Braun panties matches. So it's, it's a double-edged sword, you know, it's weird. It's, it's uh, strange, but um, let's talk about another co-branded pay-per-view. Uh, the third one within a month, Chris, if you think about it, uh, Backlash. Backlash is this Sunday night. Uh, we're going to go over the matches. Um, I have no idea the list I have in front of me because I don't have all this memorized in my head. Come on, guys. Um, is actually in order, but I'll just go down. Uh, first match was the one that was announced on uh, Monday night. Braun Strowman and Bobby Lashley versus Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. I have a bold prediction that Braun Strowman and Bobby Lashley are going to win, but then Bobby Lashley is going to turn on Braun Strowman and – put himself down as a heel. And I think that he would do better on the product as a heel. 
um, especially going against guys like Brock Lesnar. Well, more, more primarily Braun Strowman, Roman Reigns, and, and stuff like that. But I think that would add a little bit of dynamic and change things up a bit. But I think that those guys are going to beat Sammy and Kevin. I'm sorry. I love Kevin and Sammy, but they just lost uh, with one person each. Why the hell would they win this? Unless they do some heel shit. But I think the only heel shit will be from Bobby Lashley turning on Braun Strowman. Chris, what do you think? I think this might go the opposite way of where Bobby Lashley accidentally hits Braun and Braun just demolishes him. And then Braun demolishes Kevin and Sammy and they win. Uh, I think that would <laughs> like be where they go. Um, and then you can set up a feud between Bobby and uh, Braun for short term. It won't be a long term thing, but I think that's the way I would go out of it. So my prediction is yes, they win. I think Braun destroys all three people. I like it. All right, Daniel Bryan versus Big Cast. I'm going to say that Big Cast is actually going to win this. I know people are going to be shocked. He's going to do some heel shit. They're going to build this. They're going to try to build Big Cass as a legitimate heel. Unless he goes into something with, with Shinsuke and this is a one-off. So maybe I was saying that earlier, and I could see that potentially having that happen because they're having dark matches now. But that could just mean nothing. They could just be having dark matches to have dark matches. It's just, it's just weird they said, oh, he's off because of blah, 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 but then they do that. Um, so, yeah, I could see Big Cass winning, honestly. I know everyone thinks that Daniel Bryan needs a win. If they're setting up a series of matches, I'll say this. If they're setting up a series of matches between the two of them, because they could, they, they're going to they're gonna hold on to The Miz. That's going to be a lingering factor. Shit, The Miz could be the reason why Cass wins this match. I don't know. But if they have a series of matches, Cass wins like a heel. If it's just a one-off, yeah, Daniel Bryan's going to win. That, that, that will make me think that Shinsuke is going to beat AJ for the title. Chris, what do you think? If Daniel Bryan loses... I'm worried that WWE is going the path of duck side. We need to get we we need to we need to make Daniel Bryan lose. Which well, haven't they like. already done that? They did. That's I mean, that's my worry is that they're going to do that and build it up to like a Shane McMahon thing, which I don't want. I think he should cast in a good match, and then you can build to Cass and Miz being a crew if you want to go that route. Um, and then he can lose, but he needs a win. So I'm going to pick Daniel Bryan here. Uh, but it's what, what you just stated is it, it's, comple- it's completely likely as well. They could just be like, oh, Miz attacked him, and now there's this. So they could just go straight that way, and that'd be the rebound match. And then you finally get to see Daniel Bryan overcome, you know, Cass and the Miz. It just depends on how long they're building the thing out. I just hope they don't go that route. I would have Daniel Bryan win and move forward. Um, either way, you can tell that story. I think Daniel Bryan should get the win here. Yep, I could see that happening too. All right, next one for the U.S. Championship match, Jeff Hardy versus Randy Orton. Randall Orton, if you will. Um I feel like we're going to find out online, uh, for whatever reason, that Shelton's added to this match. I, I, I swear that could happen, which is kind of cool because it's like it's 10 years ago. Um, I can see him being added or also interfering, but when it's all said and done, they don't, even, neither one of them need this title, honestly. Uh, it kind of, like, Jeff now has 
putting it into his lineage of winning almost every single title uh, the WWE's had, and Randy's had the U.S. title like four times in the last fucking year. I'll just say Jeff Hardy. Uh, but I could see, like I said, um, whatchamacallit getting Shelton Benjamin added to the match. I don't think he'll win, though. He'll just be a third person. Chris, what do you think? I think, I think Jeff Hardy retains because they want a mid-card baby face, and he's going to be the best option for that right now. So I think Jeff Hardy will retain and then defend this thing for a little bit. Um, I think he's going to be kind of a stable right there in the mid-card until they're ready to give him Nakamura or Daniel Bryan. Probably Daniel Bryan or AJ Styles, because I think that's a match fans would like to see. Daniel Bryan, because I don't know that he's ever wrestled Daniel Bryan, or at least not that I know of. So that's like one of those matches where it's like, would well, be really cool to see Jeff Hardy versus Daniel Bryan. Um, and then with, a- with AJ Styles, obviously, because of TNA, um, when they were both there, so that those are interesting things to do. So I would say Jeff Hardy retains this. He eventually drops the title and moves up to the heavyweight picture after they figure out Nakamura and Styles and whoever else they're going to put up there, which I would assume was Daniel Bryan and probably Samoa Joe. So it'll be it'll be a little ways down. So I think Hardy might hold this title for a couple of months. Yep, I could see that definitely happening. All right, Carmella versus Charlotte Flair for the SmackDown Women's Championship. I hate to tell everyone, but I think Charlotte's losing this. I don't think they're going to take it away from Carmella yet. Um, I think they're going to let her build with this. Could it be from some heelish shit, some uh, person getting involved? Yeah, possibly. But I think Carmella will retain the SmackDown Women's Championship and make Charlotte kind of, um, you know, dig for it. Uh, have a little bit of a series of matches. I don't know. Chris, what do you think? I hate to say it, but I think they may go the Nakamura route and just turn Asuka heel and have Asuka be the reason that Charlotte loses here. Um, and then go back to Charlotte and Asuka, and then Carmella will just defend against Naomi or Becky Lynch at the next pay-per-view. So that's my guess is that Carmella retains, and it's due to Oscar. That is a very bold prediction, but I like that. Uh, all right. The Raw Women's Championship match between Nia Jax, the champion, versus Alexa Bliss. Nia's going to retain this. I I wouldn't be surprised if Alexa wins it, but I would actually, I would be surprised. I think Nia's going to win this. Chris? I think Nia has to win this because you're going to eventually build to what I'm guessing is going to be Ronda Rousey versus Nia Jax um, to put Ronda over. Uh, so, yeah, I think Nia's going to smash Alexa Bliss into a bazillion little pieces and probably whoever comes out to help her. I have to say, I really enjoyed that stare-off between her and Ronda Rousey uh, on Raw. That was uh, that was fun. All right, for the Intercontinental Championship match, uh, Seth Rollins versus The Miz. Well, Unless The Miz comes over to Raw, which I don't think they're going to do, I'm going to assume Seth Rollins is going to beat The Miz on SmackDown um, and retain the IC belt. Uh, do you see any other way on that? I really don't, but it would be a really funny situation where Miz wins, gets the belt back, gets sent to Raw, and then you have another three-way match between him, Finn, and Rollins. I don't think that's going to happen. I think The Miz is going to lose. I don't think they know what to do with this character right now. Um, I mean, Miz is still going to be great on the mic. He's still going to do Miz, Miz shit. Same way Ziggler does Ziggler shit. Miz is still going to Miz out. Uh, but 
I, I don't I don't think they know what they want to do with him right now. I can see this going both ways. Yeah. This might be like a call at, at the curtain kind of thing. Uh, because if Miz wins, you could just send him back to Raw. Or you could send the U.S. title to Raw. Or like, There's ways around this that they could make weird excuses for. Uh, it just depends. I don't know. Uh, I think I'd keep it on Seth personally because I think he's doing a great job with it. Uh, my thing about Seth having it is he deserves to be in the in, in the title picture. And if you're going to have Braun win it, he's actually the more perfect opponent like than Braun versus Brock. Like Seth versus Brock, having, you know, knowing that he's the reason that Brock lost that title to begin with, like when Seth cashed in money in the bank, like there's a natural feud right there and yep. they would have a good damn match. And that's what I thought they should have went without Elimination Chamber to build Roman up into a feud with Seth, and they didn't go that route. So I, I think Seth will retain, but he's going to be dropping that title soon. Probably defend to move up into the main title picture. Yeah, I could see all that scenario playing out for sure. Um, like him with the belt, and I think that him and The Miz have both uh, made the IC belt, the prestigious belt basically, over on Raw. Uh, but, yeah, it makes a lot of sense for Finn to beat him. And for him to start moving up, like to see something happen. I don't even know how long Brock's going to be in the picture now. I'm just wondering when the hell that's going to go down. All right, uh, we got two more matches, and we have a couple more minutes. AJ Styles and Shinsuke Nakamura in a no DQ match. Thanks, Paige. Um, for the WWE Championship, um, I think no DQ. Man, here's the thing. All right. This is all, I think, to me, based on if Big Cass wins, if Big Cass wins, then I think that AJ is going to win. That's going to signify in my head that AJ wins. If Dan O'Brien wins against Big Cass, I think Shinsei is going to beat AJ, get the title, and that will be the next uh, feud between him and Dan O'Brien. I don't know what will happen with AJ, but that's how I, th- I feel it's going down. If I were to put money on it, I'd probably say AJ Styles retains it. Chris? I'm going to say Nakamura wins, and then it leads to a six-pack challenge based on whatever comes out of that Daniel Bryan. Six-pack challenge! Big, big cast match, just because it's, it's SmackDown. So they do yeah. that. they just like, number one contendership, six-pack challenge. It'll be something dumb like that, but I, I think Nakamura is probably going to pick up the title here, which I don't think is the wrong move, especially no. with being an ODQ match and him being a super heel. Um, it would be awesome if maybe he shot some, some Muda Mist at some point in this match. Oh. <laughs> maybe hit AJ with a taser in the nuts or something like that would be like there's going to be a kendo stick to the nuts that's happening he's got kids so, man <laughs> well he's not uh, going to have alright last, sure. last match Ugh. let's not fry his boys or his girls or whoever his balls alright Roman Reigns versus Samoa Joe man I know <sighs> Samoa Joe needs a win I feel like Roman's going to win this. Samoa Joe, all right, let's just put it this way. If Samoa Joe beats Roman Reigns, that to me is, yes, we are moving on. What do you see happening? I think Roman Reigns wins or Samoa Joe gets DQ'd and Roman Reigns, Roman Reigns wins de facto. My guess is Samoa Joe chokes him out outside the ring, double count out, and they just do that finish. But what I would do is I would have Samoa Joe win and then attack Daniel Bryan and do the Daniel Bryan Smojo feud to build up to whoever's going after the title. 
but that's not what they're going to do. So Roman Reigns is probably going to win by DQ, and it won't matter because they're on separate brands, and no one will feel either way about either wrestler because it's going to do absolutely nothing for either of them. So optimistic. I do agree with But you I will say this. Yeah. Samoa Joe has technically won every match against Roman Reigns. So if they're playing that up, you could see Samoa Joe choke out Roman Reigns. And that would be really good he's, for Samoa Joe. He's also been money on the motherfucking mic lately. Like, my God. Thank you, Samoa Joe, for just being you. I'm glad I got them on SmackDown. Because when he came out with AJ Styles, and they, maybe that's the next feud. See, that's what I think is going to happen, honestly. Samojo and AJ are going to go at it after AJ loses the belt to Shinsuke, who's going to be going against Daniel Bryan, I'm assuming. Um, which, either way, man, SmackDown has got some great potential wrestling matches for the wrestling. And I think for more spectacle stuff with Braun and all the big guys on Raw, I love what they're doing. But I also love what Seth and fucking Finn have been pulling off. Their match on Monday night was great. It was incredible. They, they have really great chemistry. But, um, all right, well, I guess we're, we're going to wrap up here. But, um, yeah, that was wrestling this week. Uh, before I start saying goodbye to everyone, do you have any last statements to make, Chris? No, I mean, uh, just everybody have a great week. Be kind to each other and uh, enjoy the fuck out of some wrestling. Yeah, there's plenty to watch. Just go out there and watch it, guys. You're just going to be a watcher, not like the watcher from Marvel. I'm such a geek. Either way. <laughs> oh, God. Definitely check out our shows, like I said, every Wednesday at 7 o'clock, unless we change it, and then we tell you guys on our Facebook page of Geek Vibes Nation. Check us out on Instagram and on Twitter. We have a, uh, a comic movie show on Sunday nights called Geek Vibes Live. Um, we also have a basketball show, uh, show called Full Court Press. We have a top 10 show that comes on Saturday nights. We have a whole bunch of stuff, and we're interviewing Ken Shamrock. Um, so, yeah, guys, stay tuned and uh, check us out. And uh, you can find me and Chris on Facebook. I know Chris is also on Twitter. So hit us up if you'd like to. We love discussing stuff. So, you know, message us. Let us know what you think of the show. Um, leave in the comments below. Uh, I just wanted to rhyme. I'm sorry. But either way, you guys have a great night, and thank you for listening to Wrestling Geeks Alliance. Let the Geek Fives be with you. Hola, it's the mayor of Slamtown, Johnny Mundo, a.k.a. Johnny Impact, FKA, John Morrison, sometimes known as Johnny Gimmick Name, and you're listening to Wrestling Geeks Alliance. Peace out.